Good evening. This is Bill Tesman. You're back on equal footing. Chaksameach. We went from repentance and guilt topics we talked about over the last couple of weeks in the context of, of course, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. For those of our those of you who are Jewish and have just passed through that, now to the holiday of Sukkot. A lot more about joy and gratitude. These holidays are very connected. Topic for a different time tonight. We're talking, I guess, about elements of joy or satisfaction, finding our best selves. We're back in the relationship realm. We're talking about sex tonight. And we're talking about the effect of a strict religious upbringing, not saying that that's wrong or right, just the reality of whether it's in a firm household and the Jewish side, whether it's a strict Catholic upbringing, Islamic cultural upbringing, whatever it might be, there are in many of many religious homes, particularly in the Abrahamic religions, a pretty difficult relationship with sexual expression. I know there's some folks that are probably rolling their eyes. It's not difficult. It's set out. We have 613 misquotes. Many of them have to do with Shomer Nagia and so forth. Yes, I understand. There are rules. There are guidelines. There's a map, but it's difficult for many of us to find our place on that map. It's difficult for many of us that were brought up in a strict religious home to figure out as an adult what's the right way for us to express ourselves sexually. There's been a lot of research on this in the academic community. Some of the outcome of that research may trouble some of our listeners, there are many studies, for example, that show that religious commitment in all religions, this is a North American study, U.S. and Canada, is associated, positively correlated, I mean, the more you, you are committed to your faith, the less you're engaged in sexual activity, the lower your sexual satisfaction, the higher your levels of sexual guilt, and this is across both genders, but particularly amongst women. There's additional research, and by, as always in the show notes, we talk about some of this stuff. I ask you listeners, challenge me on this. What I'm quoting from right now is a peer-reviewed article called Sexuality and Culture uh, that you can find written by Dr. Dean Abbott, Dr. Jeff Harris, and Dr. Deborah Mullen on this topic, a multi-year uh, con- scientifically controlled study, and again, across various religious groups. And in particular, the effect of religious commitment, commitment is positively associated, I mean, the more religiously committed you are, the lower your sexual self-esteem, again, across, again, across both genders, but particularly women. And this part, these, these, this study included, as I, as, uh, as, as I made clear, uh, members of all faiths, just because demographically, North America is mostly Christian, most of the participants were Christian, but there were hundreds of Jewish participants as well. All right, let's, let's get into it. I've put, I've kind of let a little bit of a bias show which is if, I guess, you were brought up in a, a religious household that somehow you need to maneuver getting to a good relationship with sex. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. We're not going to have therapists on the line tonight. We're not going to have 
uh, rabbis talking about it. We've had that in the past on this type of topic. We wanted to get in the trenches tonight. We have three guests who have uh, courageously agreed to join us and talk about their own journeys. Perhaps these journeys will resonate with you. Let me start by introducing a married couple. I want to be clear that we are going under pseudonyms tonight to protect their privacy and allow our guests to express themselves very freely. I want to start by introducing Diane Love. Diane is a first-generation Polish-American. She was born and raised in Mastiff, Queens, into a devoted and conservative Roman Catholic family. Despite growing up timid and shy at first, using her own words, she quickly grew accustomed and even more exhilarated by an audience. I love that. Diane began expressing her exuberance and, more specifically, enjoyment of dance as her chosen form of artistic expression. She took part in dancing classes and eventually in dance competitions. She was also part of the Alvernian Drama Society and her dance team in high school. Time eventually revealed that Diane had career aspirations uh, to be on the stage were not as practical as first suspected, so she hung up her dancing shoes and began college, and we'll talk a little bit more about her journey as a post-collegiate adult on the show. So, Diane, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Doe. I want to introduce your husband, your handsome husband, Eddie, Eddie Love. Eddie is a 30-year-old Cuban Catholic gentleman. He's worked in the TV and film industry in the New York area for many years. He's lived on the West Coast, the North and Midwest, like Utah and Idaho. Knows a little bit about the Mormon world. We talked about the Mormon world on the show before. He's lived in the Southeast in Florida and now, of course, in the Northeast in New York. As a first-generation Cuban-American, Eddie was raised in a very conservative Christian family. He's lived much of his adult life, however, and I love the way you've expressed this, Eddie, exploring the more liberal side of life. And um, Eddie's the first person in his family to complete college with a, a BFA in theatrical design from FIU. Eddie, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, Dove. Okay. Now, of course, we're a Jewish network, and all listeners are welcome, but we have a preponderantly Jewish audience, and yes, we do have a Jewish guest on. Of course, we have a Jewish host as well, Rebecca Cohen. Rebecca grew up in the conservative movement of Judaism, and many listeners say, oh, well, that's not Broom, that's unorthodox, but wait, a lot of exposure for life over her life to the Frum world as well. She attended, of course, Jewish summer camps, Jewish youth groups, and did all the other Jewish extracurriculars one would expect. Rebecca now identifies as an adult more as post-denominational. She's constantly finding her own meaning of life and Judaism while working as a Jewish not-profit, not-for-profit professional in the Jewish world and Jewish educational world. Rebecca's passion for her own cultural identity has fostered a strong desire to learn more about other cultures and ways of life, so much so that she went on to major in religious studies, broadly based, not just Judaism, as an undergraduate, and Rebecca's life has taken her to the Southeast Asia, as well as in her academic work to black, Catholic, and evangelical churches throughout the U.S., as well as, and I didn't know this, even if our, even though we had some interesting pregame discussions, to Mayor Baba's spiritual retreat in Myrtle Beach and many more places. Rebecca's thesis surveyed the white, masculine, evangelical roots of the Capitol insurrection of a couple years ago and how American society today came to dispute such acts of domestic terrorism across the political spectrum. Interesting thesis topic. Rebecca, thanks for joining us on Equal Footing. 
Thank you so much for having me. And Rebecca, I'm obviously going to join you in the Jewish fold. However, I have to admit, although regular listeners will know this, that I didn't grow up, I say, in a very repressive, because, we, you know, the title of tonight's show is Repression and Sex, Traversing Extremes. And we didn't want to say religious repression because, of course, you can have cultural repression. You can repress things. For good reason, too, not even necessarily something bad. But by definition, repressing is kind of pushing, pushing something down, pushing a desire down. And, Rebecca, obviously we know in Judaism, I suspect we're going to learn from our, our other panelists that it's true in Catholicism as well. There is a – it is – you're told, in fact, in certain scenarios, uh, in fact, you know, 11 days a month or whatever, to, if you're married, to repress uh, sexual desire. So that's not even something that, I, that is too controversial. However, what I haven't shared here with this group much, but – uh, people listening may know from previous shows is that part of my kind of cultural repression, particularly around sexuality, is actually not about my Jewish upbringing. It's related to the fact that my mother was a member of a, I can say it now, it's hard for many years for me to say this word, was a member of a cult when I was young um, that was a uh, called City Yoga. And it was uh, and part of the aspirational dynamic of City Yoga was you, the best person was a celibate person. Really, you aspire to be celibate. In fact, even as as uh, as late as when I was nineteen or twenty years old, I had this idea that I wanted to be, uh, you know, if the best outcome was for me to grow up as, you know, like a celibate monk or something. And it's hard for me to say that. It took me a long time, even on the show, to share that. By the way, because I felt that there'd be a lot of judgment. So part of what we do on the show is kind of overcome overcome judgments. And so um, hopefully that that will help some of our audience do the same. Of themselves and uh, and hopefully you know allow you guys to do things. Okay, let's 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 get started. Um, first of all, and I'm going to start with you, Eddie, <laughs> because you seem like you, you're looking at me like you're ready to go. <laughs> all right. So um, first of all, do, do you think that I, I kind of set out a bias at the at the outset of the program, and I want you to feel uh, free to contradict? Do you think that the thesis that growing up in a strict religious home, um, in fact, does lead to sexual repression. Let's start there. I think it's all dependent on the person and the the home that they're in. I mean, a lot of it does have to do with religion, of course, being in a Catholic household, going to private Catholic school. I was taught, you know, to be celibate until I was married. Um, And so for me, uh, in my own home, not being able to talk about sex freely or to see my, my, you know, my parents have any type of PDA in front of me. Um, I was really just kind of lost. And the reason I say I was brought up in a conservative way is because I had no guidance. Uh, and so for myself, I felt lost. And so as I grew older, I was able to thank God, find friends and people that supported me and allowed me to grow inside and become more liberal in my tendencies. And, you know, to the point that I found out that I was bisexual and, uh, that was a huge uh, awakening for myself. Uh, you know, I always thought men were beautiful and I always found them, you know, engaging. Uh, but because of that, I was actually, I would say more, uh, conservative in my relationships with them. Um, I, w- I wasn't so bro with them. I was more kind of distant with them. Um, so that's how, that's how I feel about that situation. Well, that's really that's really open and honest, and I appreciate that. I, I, you said something that I think some of our Jewish audience will find interesting, maybe even dissonant, which is that you associated a very conservative religious upbringing with not having guidance around sex. And I would say if you grow up in... Uh, a from or, or observant Jewish uh, um, upbringing, you actually have 
a lot of guidance about sex. It's just really friggin' hard to follow. <laughs> so, so, Rebecca, for some of our audience, because we do have we have non-Jews, we have secular audience, uh, secular Jews, etc. Do you want to maybe give us a little bit of a sense from your perspective? We're not expecting you to be a halachic expert, but on what is what is the general guidance, or at least what is the guidance that you received, or the the, the context in which you grew up grew up around around sex. So, growing up going to summer camps, um, those are highly sexualized places. Um, Jewish summer camps were founded for the very purpose of Jewish kids being together, meeting other Jewish kids, to then go on and find love and have more Jewish kids. Um, so, and I suspect, sorry for the interruption, I suspect some of our, our parents listening will be, whoa, wait a minute, those camps are sexualized places. I appreciate your honesty. I've heard this before. Yes, Jewish. <laughs> yes, uh, like for me, I oh, absolutely, and and the non-orthodox camps. Right. Growing up, going to a conservative movement summer camp. Like my first kiss was at twelve years old, and that like now you know having been back as a staff member for five six years, that's crazy. Twelve year olds kissing, that's crazy. Um, because for listeners' edification, sorry for the interruption, you now actually are on the other side of the veil, so to speak. You're administrating some of these programs. Correct, correct. Um, so I, I grew up in those settings where, where you were encouraged to find partners, to cultivate those friendships, to figure out who you are as a person. But then when you go home, or when I went home, it didn't necessarily translate because both of my parents um, were very highly influenced by the so-called Judeo-Christian values, which, as a religious studies scholar, there's no such thing. Judeo-Christian values, um, little crap. Um, so they they were highly influenced by. Sorry, what do you mean by that? What do you because we've touched on this in previous programs, and and I think it's it's beneficial for listeners to hear at least your perspective on that. What do you mean that Judeo-Christian values are a load of crap? There, the way that the term has been co-opted by um, political figures to sort of unite Americans around this shared idea of religious sentiment is just not true. We are a nation founded by immigrants. The founding fathers had absolutely no desire to establish a state religion. You know, that's all over the... the, um, I see. You're saying it's a political issue. Yeah, as a a political issue, it's, it's not... A real thing because my values, right? When you look at what's happening right now in mainstream politics. Okay, you know what? I made a mistake. I want to go. Let's get back to. <laughs> let's get back to sex. Let's go back to Judeo-Christian values that relates to sex. So, the Judeo-Christian where it relates to sex is in Judaism. Sex for pleasure, sex for enjoyment, is a mitzvah. That is something that, when you look into those texts in Judaism, is a good thing. And that was not portrayed to me through my parents because of the inherent, the inherent Judeo-Christian values that they were raised with. I was going to go to a question for, to Diane because we're going to need to take our first break. But I'm, I, really, I actually want to ask you a follow-up before we go to our first break. I'm going to get to you right after the break, Diane. Um, I think this is really interesting for listeners to hear. We don't have a rabbi on, so you, you can spare me the critical mail right now if it's okay. We've had the halachic perspective on this a lot on the show before. This is an experiential show tonight. But this, this is really interesting for people to hear. We've heard this before from rabbinical experts that the 
as you said correctly, Rebecca, uh, pleasure for or sex for pleasure is a mitzvah. Something wrong with that? And that does that's different. Like you said, you're, you're moshing together Judeo-Christian values falsely because that may be that may not be the case in in the Catholic Catholic or Christian upbringing. We'll hear more about that after the break. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But in this case, it sounds like you were getting a different message than that. So your parents, as I think does happen in a lot of Jewish homes, were not telling you that part of halacha. I don't think they know it. I don't think they were educated enough in their upbringing to know the deeper texts, the deeper um, stories that relate to sex. Um, and some, similar to Eddie, like my parents ha- show no PDA. It's actually a very loveless marriage. Um, and it wasn't a good example of a marriage, of a relationship for me and my siblings. So. You know what? We're going to have to take our first break. I got lots of questions about <laughs> Okay. You're on equal footing. We are talking about repression and sex. You heard me right. Repression and sex. Traversing extremes. I promise, Michelle, we will get to those extremes. There's some pretty interesting stories here. And is that related? You know, do we... Do we find the need to compensate as adults when we are, when those uh, elements are repressed, as Rebecca said, maybe not talked about in the way that they should be? Call in. Give us your perspective. 718-303-9090 is the number to call. You can, as our guests have done tonight, use a pseudonym or not a name at all. You can speak anonymously. That's 718-303-9090. You can also text a comment or question. Be patient. Uh, radio engineers alone in the studio tonight. So if you call in, please keep letting it ring so we can see you on the board. And uh, you can also text a comment or question to, to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. Do not call that number. Just text or WhatsApp a question or comment for Eddie and Diane Love and Rebecca Cohen. We'll be right back. Well, equal footing is brought to you, and tonight the segue is a little easier. You know, often when I talk about Manhattan Medical, one of our great sponsors, I find it difficult to tie into uh, Halakha, for example. Uh, well, tonight, it's a little bit easier to tie in. Manhattan Medical, like we're doing tonight, addresses a topic that most people should talk about and don't, and that is erectile dysfunction. Yes, ED. It affects almost two-thirds of men in their lifetimes, and it affects those men. It affects the people in relationship with those men, in sexual relationship with those men. It's not anything to be embarrassed about. It's something to be open about and address. Manhattan Medical is there for you. They're also very sensitive to the needs within the Orthodox Jewish community. There is no shame in dealing with erectile dysfunction. There's nothing non-halachic about addressing erectile dysfunction. Manhattan Medical utilizes the new effective gains wave therapy. It can help most patients achieve excellent results. It is a non-invasive, surgery-free side effects free alternative to those expensive blue pills. In, a lot of people cannot take those blue pills for ED because of comorbidities and potential side effects. You do not have to be in Manhattan 
You do not have to be in New York. You can be anywhere in the United States and get a teleconsult for Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. The number to call is 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-ED-CURE-9 in numbers. Most of us punch in our numbers on our phone in numbers, not in words. 888-332-8739 for Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. Here's what you got to know. If you call to Manhattan Medical for a consult, you will get it for free if you mention that you heard about it on the Equal Footing radio show. You have to say, I want my free consult because I heard the ad on Equal Footing called 888-332-8739. Call now. I've been calling. You're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about repression and sex. We're here with Rebecca Cohen, Diane Love, and Eddie Love. Diane, you've been so patient. Oh, that's not my character, but uh, just for today. So, Diane, I, I made an assumption before the break that um, in Catholicism and Christianity, actually, the text, the religious texts, uh, would guide you that, in fact, sex for enjoyment sex for pleasure is not okay, that it's always something to be, I don't know, ashamed about, even if you're, I don't know, making love to your husband. Mm-hmm. And was I right or was I wrong? I say that as without the grounding. I mean, it makes me think back to, you know, learning about sex for the very first time, and I think that just starting to think back to what I learned in a small, tiny book in, like, the eighth grade, and it I remember hearing, like, something like the first term, heavy petting, and I was like, what is that? And there was just so so little I knew about A, lingo, but more importantly about my own body, about what's right and wrong, and then religious things being tied into it was always a confusing, confusing thing because it was very um, sort of known uh, without saying it, like you don't do that until you're married, and if you had a household that, that you know, obviously you have parents that love each other, you you don't see them having sex. So there's very little knowledge, and I always thought it was a bad thing, uh, or at least I shouldn't do it. I don't know why. Technically speaking, I felt like it was a dirty act, in fact. And do you feel, and I don't want to presume how religious your upbringing was, but my understanding is you also grew up in a, in a very conservative Christian household based on, on what we've discussed. Do, do you feel like you got that as, a, uh, as religious guidance or as kind of social cultural guidance? That's a good question. I think social, cultural guidance is what my parents gave me because they, again, with what Rebecca said, it's what they knew. And so they taught me what they knew or didn't know, and whatever they passed down to me was whatever they could give me. And I guess they didn't think it was wrong. They thought, well, you shouldn't be getting pregnant before you're ready. And But those words were never conveyed. It was more of a, don't do this because I said so, and, and if you have feelings that you want to explore, we're not going to go there. And that's how I felt like I had to learn my, my own way in my own way. So you found Eddie as an adult, and both of you as expressed in some of our pregame discussions and even here in your bios and on the air so far, you had similarities in that regard. Both of you were, were you know, brought up in very conservative Christian slash Catholic households. You know, you're Polish-American, Diane. Yeah. You're Cuban-American, Eddie. But there were still a lot of similarities religiously and socioculturally. Would you be willing to talk a little bit with our audience about how, as adults, you've expressed 
you, how you now express your sexual, uh, your sexuality, how, how, you know, to where are you now on that spectrum as, as a couple? Yeah, absolutely. I think it should start with Eddie only because, um, even though I'm older than my husband, which, you know, some may say I don't look at, but, um, he truly no, is, no. <laughs> but he has truly opened my doors, um, to what I knew was an adventurous part of me and a uh, creative part of me and then a free part of me. And so when Eddie and I met, he brought that to me. So I think you should start this one. I don't know about you. What do you think? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll start it. Um, for, oh, for me, it, uh, it really opened up right before I met, um, the love of my life, Diane. Uh, I was going through a tough time, a lot of depression personally, and I was able to come out of that feeling much freer with myself. I was able to do a lot of self inventory. And, uh, with that, uh, I was able to then find Diane and the way we found each other was very easy. Attracted we attracted each other. And once we attracted each other, she taught me how to set intent and how to put what you feel and uh, have in your mind, uh, into fruition. And through that, and through her understanding and love to, with me and openness with me, uh, I was able to now do a complete 180 in the sexual arena in my life where before it was a very quiet, you know, yeah, you date, you, 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 you have a few girlfriends here and there, uh, but it wasn't outlandish to the point now that, you know, we go to sex clubs and we go to adult resorts and, uh, you know, we go to nudist uh, resorts and we love being naked and free and talking about any kind of subject with the people we meet. And most of the people actually are very educated. Most of the people I find in that community are very educated individuals. So I appreciate you guys, again, being so open and real. Uh, and I'm wondering in these communities, this community of, I guess, greater sexual adventure, mm -hmm. let's put it that way, without a judgment, positive or negative, uh, maybe that's a little bit of a positive overtone, the sexual expression that is more uh, broad and, and different and deep than, than most. Yeah, perhaps taboo uh, sounds like elements of uh, certainly taboo. Do you find that there are a lot of – what percentage – I'm trying to find the elegant way to ask this. Are there other folks that you find that have had the same journey from a strict religious upbringing to that environment? Or do you feel like most people were brought up with a very kind of uh, secularized liberal approach and now it's just kind of in line with the way they were brought up? Honestly, I was thinking about it now that I'm freer than I ever was after meeting my husband and learning that I do have things that I have unexplored. I have found that I've opened up very slowly to certain friends who I feel safe that they wouldn't feel either hit on or judged or, or that they would judge me. And I find that there are very few people that have broken out of the cultural norms that they were always introduced to and that we were all in the same neighborhood and we all have the same. It's just, I, I feel like I'm one of the only in my circle. And I feel like, Eddie, if, if I don't speak for you, kind of, you're a special one, too. You don't have many people like you in your life. Is that true? Like, right? Absolutely. That is, that is nodding his head. Yes. No, I don't. I mean, we don't have many people like us. That no, we don't. We don't. Until we, well, until yeah. we explore, of course, but. So, Rebecca, I want to ask you the same question, if you're okay with it, that I asked Eddie and Diane. Uh, how, as an adult, having traversed, if not one extreme, at least one Kind of general end of the spectrum of a, of a much more conservative uh, slash repressive uh, childhood as a and, and upbringing as it relates to sex. How are you now expressing your 
sexual self as an adult, and, and how does that reconcile with your religious identity? So going back to camp and being a staff member at camp, a camp is just as much a sexualized place for the staff as it is the campers. And so having a safe space to explore some of that with people that I've known my whole life um, and be open in that way with people was really good for me. And, you know, being on the younger end of my life, you know, I'm very uh, privileged that having uh, more open conversations around sex, around intimacy and relationships is much, is a greater part of the mainstream now, um, right? Like only graduated college recently. And like that was people talk about it now, which is awesome. Um, which for some of our older listeners, that certainly would not have been the case uh, in their upbringing. So, so is it right to assume that a lot of your social circle, Rebecca, is uh, would identify A, as Jewish, and B, as observant? Jewish, yes. Observant, no. Is it your experience being exposed to the observant world as well that there is a, a shift sort towards a I don't want to use a charged word, but a destigmatization of uh, sexual expression, or do you still feel folks are kind of doing it, but maybe hiding it from their parents? Yeah, the second one, hiding it from parents. You know, we guys, we had a um, in our pregame research came across some some pretty interesting uh, academic research by a an Oxford professor named Dave, David Leeming. I uh, encourage folks to look him up. L e e m i n g. Um, he's the editor in, editor in chief of the Journal of Religion and, and Health, and has written a lot about the. Uh, the disruption in the natural and positive relationship between religion and dif- different religions, mostly talking about the Abrahamic faiths of Christianity and Islam and Judaism, um, and marriage. In other words, you're saying in, in, in that, that there's a, a very natural coexistence between uh, religious education and the institution of marriage, and then that's been disrupted uh, over the last couple of generations by all of the sexual abuse um, I wouldn't say allegations, the reality of sexual abuse that's come out, of course, led by uh, discoveries in the, going back to the 1970s in the Catholic Church and Jewish Community Watch and others for our listeners have really exposed that, un- unfortunately, in the Orthodox Jewish community as well. I can't speak with authority about the Islamic community in this regard, so I'm not going to pretend to do so. But do you guys, let's go to you, Eddie, on this. Do you, do you think that's right growing up in a Catholic household? Do you think that... Um, is that too abstract? What was going on with the church of discovering you know, thousands of, of, of priests abusing, abusing you know, children, basically? Did that change your relationship with the guidance that you got in the home about sexuality, or am I, is, is that too much of an, abstra- of an academic abstraction? For myself, it didn't change me at all. For myself, uh, it made me just know that the church I was following when I was growing up, the church I was brought up in, wasn't the church that spoke for me. Uh, but I was already kind of in place, already feeling that way about my church. Um, it definitely was surprising. I did not expect that. To me, you know, I was an altar server. I was a youth minister at my church at one point. Um, to me, the church was my community. And I trusted the father that was sitting up there at the altar every single Sunday. I joked with him. I played with, you know, played like, you know, uh, sports with him. And, uh, and to find out that he was one of them. Oh, wow. That was just mind-blowing to me. And to see how it was covered up so quickly. And that one day we all knew about him. The next day he was just forgotten about. 
right. um, the institution being at least, you know, uh, given, sorry, <laughs> uh, the institution at least coming in and, you know, saying, hey, we know now that this is happening or we were covering it up. Admitting it, Admitting it is one thing, but they're still covering it up. It's still and I think, you know, we, it's very painful for us to talk about this in the program. We've done it once before over the last couple of years. We probably should do it again. But um, I don't want to talk about scale because I don't, I don't know the numbers scale-wise, but I do know this has also been a problem mm-hmm. in, in our, so to speak, system, mm-hmm. in the yeshiva system, in camps. Um, this this has happened, continues to happen. Hopefully, much less than it used to. Um, Rebecca, for you, is is was this a talked about subject? Does this matter to some of the work that JCW has done, and you know, exposing some of this? Has that has that kind of uh, you know cast the pale over over kind of religious sexual guidance in in your life? So, the the camp that I grew up going to, we just in the last few years, they started bringing in a sex educator to talk with the staff about how to communicate best with campers on the topic of social sexual pressure, how to have best practices regarding consent among staff, um, you know, amongst campers. You know, counselors live in the cabins with campers. They're seeing, you know, kids shower, bathroom sharing, all that stuff. Um, And then she also works with the kids on, on how to, talk about consent and all those things. And so I'm really grateful that in my own experience in camp youth group now in the Jewish professional world, I have never come into uh, any situations, uh, like any of these bad situations. But I do know that recently, and this is all public information, that very recently there was a director of a conservative summer camp um, who is currently being investigated for covering up a camper-to-camper assault. And that's hard for the entire community to deal with when you know a person. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing that in, in 2022 this continues to happen, or in the year 5783, as it were, it continues to happen. We're going to take our next break. We're going to come back with Rebecca Cohen, Diane Love, Eddie Love, talking about repression and sex, traversing extremes, and as promised, this next segment, we're going to get to what we mean by those extremes and maybe help listeners understand what is available to them uh, as in, in this part of life. We've got already some interesting listener comments, uh, which we'll get to as well. Brace yourself, guys. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures.
Hi, I'm Dove Tuzman. You are back on the air on Equal Footing. We're live. We're talking about sex again. In this case, we're talking about repressive relationships with sex as we grow up in, in, in conservative and strict, some would say appropriately strict, religious homes. We're hitting this from a Jewish perspective with our pseudonym guest tonight, Rebecca Cohen, our pseudonymed Catholic slash Christian guests, Diane Love and Eddie Love. Rebecca, I'm going to protect you from a couple of uh, listener comments because early in the show you said that, you know, it's a, it's, it's a mitzvah to actually uh, enjoy sex and that sex is, you know, for pleasure is okay. A couple of folks saying it's a misunderstanding. It's the first mitzvah of all, in fact, of the 613 commandments. Number one is to procreate, yes, but other folks are challenging that. Well, you know what? I'm going to push back on a, a couple of those comments we've, uh, we've gotten. Yes. The commandment to procreate, Genesis 1.28, is the first mitzvah in the Torah. It's also said you should have sex on Shabbos, and that that is, in fact, part of the obligation to delight. It's not just about procreation. There are many references to this throughout the throughout uh, Humash, uh, Tanakh, Oral Torah as well. Um, in fact, Deuteronomy 24.5 says that a man, I don't know why it's, it's about it's bound by the last year, but in any event, you're supposed to quote unquote gladden your wife at home. And let's go to Maimonides now. Many, you know, I'm talking about thousands of years forward, back into the Middle Ages, one of the great Jewish sages. And here it's going to get a bit controversial. This is why I, I went this far to read this. A man's, this is Maimonides writing, a man's wife is permitted to him. Therefore, a man may do whatever he desires with his wife. He may engage, engage in relations whenever he desires, kiss any organ he desires, engage in vaginal or, or other intercourse whenever he desires, or engage, or engage in physical intimacy without relations with only one condition. And I know some of our listeners already know. It's like Jeopardy at home, they're saying. <laughs> with one condition provided you do not release your seed in vain, which means you don't ejaculate without it going towards creating babies. Same thing, I think, in Catholicism. It's a thing, right? Yes, getting nodding, nodding heads. Okay, so uh, this is, I think, a simple one. It's like, you know, if we were doing a flash round, this is a pretty easy one. But Eddie and Diane, do you guys live by by this one? Do you feel that uh, this is still a relevant dictate in your life at all, in the, the Christian version of it, not releasing seed in vain? Um, well, really, in, in at least in Catholicism, it's not about not releasing the seed in vain. It's more not releasing the seed without your wife present, uh, and your, your, you know, your other, your significant other present. Um, because if you release your seed in vain, it's usually, at least to them, saying that you're releasing it against something else and not your significant other. Um, so you can do it without actually with the need to procreate, but it needs to be between you and your wife. Uh, so that's, that's on the Catholic side. So, Rebecca, I hope I'm not giving anything away by saying you're not married. I know that from our discussions. However, uh, I'm sure you know about this concept in Judaism. However, there are also dictates uh, in, in Mishnah and elsewhere that you that a couple can kind of do anything they want um, in marriage as long as it's consensual and goes towards enjoyment of the couple, provided you don't break this rule. Um, is this still a relevant dictate for you? And, uh, you know, what is, how does this manifest in your life? So this was something that I was not aware of 
until recently in the last 18 months, last two years, maybe. Um, and it's something that I just never came up, never talked about. Um, so I just don't have a lot of thoughts on it. What I, what I have done is had discussions on it in relation to Jewish views on abortion. And I know this is getting into something we don't want to get into, but it's an interesting topic. And that's how I've broached that particular piece of text. And have, it, it's a very direct question. Um, and, and I hope you won't be offended for me to ask it. Uh, do, is your, is your sex life, um, strictly at this point kind of a, a one to one type of dynamic or is there any kind of one to many dynamic in your sexual expression? I don't think I know what you mean. <laughs> I mean, the title of the show is, is, is repression and sex yeah. and traversing extremes. And I'm wondering, having gone from, if not one extreme, certainly a very conservative Jewish upbringing as it relates to sex, how, maybe I'll put it a different way, what is kind of the quote-unquote extreme? Like, where are you now in the most um, the most creative, uh, maybe taboo element of your sexual expression? I enjoy casual sex. That, that's it. And Diane and Eddie, how about you? What's how, how what's the, the most um kind of creative or taboo element of your sexual expression? Um so before Eddie it was just dabbling in maybe partners or two partners, uh but it was very, very on the surface after it turned into um nude beaches, into nude resorts into being free with my body, into being free with more than one body in bed, um, and also exploring what is my, what satisfies me, what satisfies my husband, and that's where we are. There is no reason why we can't enjoy ourselves. There's no reason for shame. There's no reason for guilt. There might be knowledge to learn. There might be something that I need to learn. I don't shame myself. My husband doesn't shame me, and I put myself around people that um, help me explore that versus what I was used to, which was shame and uh, fear and being behind closed doors and not knowing what, what's right. I know what's right now. <laughs> so maybe a way to get to another way to ask a question is, and thank you, I appreciate all three of you being so so real and open, is is there still some element of your upbringing that holds you back from being totally open, either in your sexual expression or even the sharing of your sexual expression with your world, with your friends, with your family? Well... Uh, at least to be sexually free for myself, I've been able to be sexually free. I really don't, I have my own boundaries, of course, but those are my own. Um, but I am comfortable with most of it and comfortable with everyone around me being comfortable with most of it. Uh, as for like my parents or people close to me and my family, um, you know, the, the, the subject's never been broached. If there were ever a time, especially now in my life where I don't fear my parents or anybody's, you know, feelings towards me, I, you know, I don't feel like that, that I'll shame them in any way. And if I do, that's their problem to me in any way and, 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 and any, uh, other way, but um, for me, it's uh, it's open. I'm open. I'm happy, and I'm with uh, my uh, my best friend doing it. 
Rebecca, Diane, I'll take it. I'll take it too, only because I do feel like um, I do hold back for sure. Absolutely, I am not going to shake that. You know, thirty-seven years of learning this one way of life or whatever. But I certainly feel better and better and better. I feel more open with myself, even with you know looking into um, my body image or just looking at my relationship with myself, learning what I like, what makes me feel good. Um, before I could share it with my husband or with anyone else, um, I have to feel happy. So I guess, yes, I hold some back, but it's, it's, I hold it to the degree that makes me feel safe and comfortable until I can step to the next stone. At this point, I have nothing else to hide. I will grow into more, but yeah, eventually. Let's take a caller who I think is still on the line, has been waiting. I think we've got Stan on. Uh, if we could put Stan on the line. We still got him. We may have lost him. Okay, we're going to go. Maybe Stan, if you're listening, call back. I apologize. And we're going to go to our last break. We'll be right back. We're talking about repression and sex, traversing extremes. You're on equal footing with Rebecca Cohen and Eddie and Diane Love. Sometimes it feels like I've got a war in my mind. I want to get off, but I keep riding the ride. I never really noticed that. We talked about Manhattan Medical earlier in the program. Just one other quick uh, reminder, Manhattan Medical's erectile dysfunction treatment program, Gaines Wave Therapy, available to you free of charge for an initial consultation. If you mentioned you heard about it on the Equal Footing Radio program, call Manhattan Medical. You don't have to be in New York. Just anywhere in the United States for a teleconsult, 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Call now. I've been caught. Back in Equal Footing, we're talking about sex and repression, religious upbringing. It is hard to talk about this stuff. You know, we went into this program, and I'll tell you without giving away any any secrets that prior to the program in our pregame discussion, we were able, I think, to even be more open than when we're on the air because it's friggin' hard. Mm. It's hard. It is. And, uh, I, I, you know, I'll try to help a little bit in this regard by being open, a little bit more open personally. I mentioned earlier in the program that I, I was actually, I, it's taken a long time to say this, but I've brought up in a pretty repressive household. And my parents, if they're listening, I hope they're not listening, if they're listening, they'll be, they'll be mad at me because they think of themselves as quite the opposite, as extremely progressive thinkers. But in certain re- regards, I think it was very repressive. And one of those regards had to do with sex. And again, I think they think that's not true, but it was because of the ideals, the paradigms, the paragons, right, that we were trying to aspire to, to, to be. And those, in a sense, for me, were sexless paragons. And my parents, uh, probably out of, you know, some idea of the way you should be really open-minded as, you know, hippies growing up in the late 60s, you know, didn't figure I'd just find my own way or something. And never really had meaningful conversations with me about sex until I was very deep in my celibacy slash sex-driven toggle weird journey, right? So... Uh, if you're listening and if you're either, if you're saying right on or if you're upset at or even talking about this topic, take away one thing and that is talk to your kids. Yeah. Just talk to them about what they're thinking and feeling and be open-minded to that even if you're going to then decide to continue to repress it. 
So there you go. That's at least uh, one lesson. And I know that some of you agree because I have received some uh, text no- notes during this uh, from parents during the show saying that they appreciated that they were talking about it. So thank you to those that said that as well. Okay, well, I want to go back to the Jewish world. And, Rebecca, you're in a tough position here because <laughs> you're the only Jewish panelist here uh, between uh, Eddie and Diane. Um, do you think, here's a tough one, maybe this will get, get you guys uh, at each other a little bit. Do you think we're better at it? <laughs> I, don't <Yeah>. mean, <laughs> I don't mean better at, at sex. Um, we could have another show on that. Um, but, I mean, do you think we're better at being open about about sex and enjoying sex than than our Christian and Catholic uh, brothers and sisters are. I think amongst the 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 circles of Judaism that are more educated, specifically in Judaism and halachic teaching, absolutely, we're better at talking about it. It's when you get into the more assimilated communities, who going back to those Judeo Christian values, they all just sort of mesh together, um, and those communities don't do it as well. And I I am the biggest proponent of any, you know, Jewish youth thing, camp, uh, youth programs, Israel trips, anything, because those are the spaces and communities where kids really get to start to come out of their shell and figure out who they are in a safe way, in a safe space with other kids doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and you know, to be fair to the Orthodox world, there are there are a lot of resources. Even if you just go on um, Instagram or just do searches, even Chabad.org, there's actually a surprising amount of guidance about about sexual topics, including issues around premarital sex and and uh, and and coming out as an LGBTQ person and so forth. So, got to at least get some credit where credit is due in that regard. I know that's also increasingly true in the progressive Christian world as well. I want to get to a um, comment, and we're, we're struggling a little bit because we're not in studio tonight, so I would ask uh, our studio engineer, Dimitri, if you, if you get that caller back on, just feel free to patch him through, and, and, uh, and I'll, hear the, I'll hear the beep. But um, we've had a couple of, of, uh, of interesting uh, listener uh, comments around, um, around, the, around this issue of, of, uh, of other forms of sexuality, other, other um, sexual identities, and particularly around LGBTQ um, issues and the fact that we're not actually hitting the core issue. Um, and so one listener in particular says, um, you're avoiding the point. The point is, is criminalization. Yes, I mean it. Criminalization of being gay in all the religious faiths that we're talking about here. That's the key issue. It's not about how you express yourself sexually, whether you have multiple partners, or whether you engage in casual sex. Um, Eddie, you were open early in the show and saying part, in part of your journey, journey you became, I, I hate when people say I discovered, and, that, and I don't hate that. I mean, I mean is that you became open in, in sharing um, your bisexuality and, and discovering it. I shouldn't say it's not, that's not uh, fair. How do you, um, do you feel this, this listener is right, that they were missing the point, that the key, the, the key point here is about the criminalization of, uh, of being gay or bisexual or queer? Um, I mean... Being, being LGBTQ, uh, in, in our society as a whole, uh, is it looked at in a criminalized way, which is just horrible. Uh, within our religion, uh, Catholicism specifically, it is completely criminalized. 
they, there's no question about it. They, they, they don't try to interpret anything differently. The church stands behind that feeling 110%. I know that. Um, now, I will say, as uh, Dove has said before, I lived in Utah, where I uh, lived there for eight years, and I was uh, I actually converted to Mormonism for, for a time. Um, I do feel you know safe saying that on air. Um, and while I was Mormon, uh, it wasn't criminalized. If anything, it was starting to be more encouraged. Uh, and this was almost eight years ago. Uh, and not only that, uh, we're talking about, you know, Mormons coming out to the gay pride parade in Salt Lake City and, and, you know, and supporting their, their children and, uh, trans rights and all these different beautiful things. Uh, on top of the, uh, the other thing that we were discussing is that my parents never showed PDA, but, the Mormon parents I always met, all my Mormon friends, all the women I met, were very sexualized, were very sexually, you know, adventurous, and uh, they had been spoken about it since they were very young. They were really honest people to their children. They didn't, they didn't pull any punches. Um, so I do see that, you know, uh, on both sides of the spectrum. The Mormon religion and the Catholic religion are very separate, you know, in that regard. Do you feel in your in your generation... Rebecca, that there is a criminalization within the observant Jewish world of uh, being gay or queer, or is this something that they think is kind of yesterday's news? So coming from a non-Orthodox, semi-observant community, is no one cares. That, like, it's just we have specific spaces for it in all our youth programs, um, and, yeah, old news. Uh, we have two, uh, I'm not going to say their names. I suspect they wouldn't want me to, but uh, we have two listeners who have uh, written in ex- uh, saying they also like casual sex. <laughs> uh, uh, both of them no. come from observant backgrounds, so there you go. Um, we, we, also, <laughs> we also have um, a, a listener who I'm not going to mention her name. She's written it before. She's a mother in Crown Heights, um, and she's thanking the group uh, for discussing this and is asking the group exactly how you would recommend broaching this topic with a teenage daughter or a teenage son. And, and you know what? I'm actually going to go back to you, Rebecca, because someone from – I do want to get everyone's opinion, but – um, and this may be our, the last uh, question or comment question or comment we can take. I'm struggling to get close to the mic here. So, uh, Rebecca, what advice would you give to this mother in Crown Heights in uh, the from community? The best advice I could give is that is to have unconditional love for your children. That if if you ever when when you broach these topics. Um, it's not a bad conversation. It's nothing negative. You have always loved them. You will always love them. Um, and you just want to make sure that they are happy, uh, healthy, safe, and that you love them unconditionally. What's, uh, Eddie, your, your, your words of wisdom to this, to this mother? You're coming from a Catholic background, but I think a lot of the same issues apply given what you've shared about your background. Um, of course, I say depend, de- dependent on the child um, and their age. Uh, but for myself, if I were if I were speaking to my child, my teenage child, I would just be real with them. We've, we were all teenagers once. 
Um, we know what's coming at us. We know we, we know what's going on out there. Um, you know, I, I know that we don't want to make it seem like we're just buddy buddy with our with our with our kids, but sometimes that that is a place we need to be in. We need we need to make sure that they feel comfortable with us to come to us if they smoke weed or if they have sex or whatever it may be, or if they're depressed or they have their first love. You know, just just be honest with your child. You know, tell them what you went through as a child, and and I think that in that you'll grow your relationship tenfold. The best thing my parents ever said to me was, you know, if you're if you're drunk at a party, intoxicated at a party, don't ever get in a car with someone else intoxicated. Just call us. No questions asked. They prioritized me and my brother's health and safety in that regard, not so much in the sexual sphere, but just know that make sure your kid knows that you are always there for them. Okay, last lightning round, that's it. We're going to have to do, uh, yes, I will get to Diane in a sec. And the question here from the listener, Diane, you can finish this off here, depending on, no pun intended, and the timing, is do you feel, given that you grew up in a conservative upbringing religiously, that you missed out, or do you feel it was the right thing to bring you to your current form of sexual expression? Well, I mean, that is a great question, actually. And I, I just like one of those things, like, you don't regret anything in your life. It got you to where you are today. Um, I've certainly learned what I needed to learn to get me to where I am today. I mean, mistakes were made. Um, trial and error happens. What I do say that, Rebecca, I do, I think that's the most magical thing to hear if a parent ever goes, you know what, you messed up. You, you know, call me and we'll make it right. Like, there's no love lost. If I ever did remember something it was when I was forgiven and also was like wait I just forgave myself too like nobody has to be um, against you growing up you need as many supporters as you can so sexually non-sexually drugs not drugs I mean whatever it is to be there for someone is one of the most uh, supportive ways you can be there for a friend or your child and that's that's the most meaningful advice I could share Love it. I appreciate that. Eddie, do you have any final you know, few seconds here of, of, of wisdom? Did your repressive, conservative upbringing bring you to a better place sexually in terms of where you are now, or could you have done without it? Um, I could have done without it, and, 110%. But all of life is an uphill battle. Um, if the struggle wasn't there, we wouldn't achieve anything. Um, and so I think that that's the way life is, you know, no, no regrets. I appreciate you guys being open and talking about this topic. If you feel uh, that you need to kind of break out of your shell, get advice on this topic, we will put in the show notes some resources that are available to you. Um, within the Orthodox Jewish world, there are great resources. We can talk confidentially. That's true as well um, in the Catholic world, in the evangelical world. Uh, even if you're in a very strict uh, household, there are resources that understand the context that you are in and that have the ability to, uh, you know, uh, broach those topics in a, in, a, in a caring and empathetic way. Diane Love, Rebecca Cohen, Eddie Love, thanks for joining us tonight. Always our pleasure. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Catch you next week.